This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. In, uh, in Haggai chapter 2, the prophet is speaking to the people of God. This has a, um, uh, an Old Testament um, meaning, but it also has a New Testament, specifically an end time meaning. Beginning in verse 7, he says, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, we've explained this every time, but I, I'm sorry. I just have to take another moment or two and, and say it again for those of you that may not have been with us. At the time that these things are spoken, the, the, uh, uh, the Jews are attempting to build the second temple or rebuild the temple. There are three temples in uh, throughout the Old Testament up through the end of the Gospels. The first was Solomon's temple. We'll read about that in a little bit in just a moment. Uh, it was filled with the glory of God at, upon its dedication. It was a place that God had, uh, it was what David wanted to build, but God wouldn't let him build because he was a man of war. His son Solomon built it, and, and as a result, it was everything that um, uh, that the, the people of Israel had uh, had looked forward to. The, the presence of God was there. It was just magnificent. Israel then disobeyed God and, and went into um, uh, bondage of the Babylonians, and the temple was destroyed. Now, many years later, some 70 years later now, uh, they're trying to rebuild the temple. And this was the time where that these words were spoken by the prophet Haggai. And so a lot of people, the people of that day, certainly assumed that what God was saying is the second temple is going to be just like the first one or even better. The problem is we know from history, uh, the Bible as well as uh, historical documents that uh, that are not Bible-related, we know that the second temple was nothing in comparison to the first temple. There were people that were still uh, older people that had uh, were still alive that had seen the first temple in its operation. And when the second temple was dedicated and began to operate, they wept because they said, this is nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple. Well, that temple was later destroyed because the children of Israel rebelled against God again, went back into captivity in another to another people. Uh, and then uh, the third temple was uh, Herod's temple. Jesus and his disciples went through the temple one day, and the disciples looked around and said, Oh, Jesus, have you ever seen anything as magnificent as this? And Jesus kind of scoffed at it. He said, The day is coming, and it won't be too long that there won't be one stone left upon another. Now, the reason Jesus disdained that temple was because it was not for the glory of God. It was built for the glory of Herod. And so Jesus counted it as worthless. The disciples were impressed because it was uh, nicely built, and it had, you know, furnishings that were pretty and stuff like that, but Jesus wasn't impressed. You know, it's that way with God, too. God's not really impressed with how pretty we make something, including ourselves. What God's impressed with is the motive of our heart. He's impressed with the things that are on the inside, the reasons for things. So we know, therefore, that this is not talking about the second temple that he's going to fill with the the glory of God. Well, what temple is he talking about then? He's talking about you and me. God's plan from the beginning was to dwell within man. And so the filling this house with glory he's talking about is I'll fill the church with glory. I'll fill my people, those that are born again, those that receive my son, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. That's where the glory of God will be revealed. So back to verse 7. He says, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. He's talking about the rapture. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So the filling of the house, filling of the church, filling of the people of God with glory has to have some kind of relationship to the rapture then, doesn't it? Or at least in time events. 
He's talking about what's going to happen at the end. Now, folks, in one sense, and we'll talk about this as we go, in one sense, it's already happened. You are filled with the glory of God. You may look at yourself in the mirror and not know it. You may not recognize it, but you are. But this seems to be indicating that there's going to be a greater measure of glory or maybe an outpouring of some greater measure than what we would have in it some other time or in, under normal circumstances, we might say, because it's spoken to relative to the end time events. So he says, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, whatever you think about that, there's some connection between silver, gold, and glory. I personally believe that this is speaking of the scripture, several scriptures, several different places where it says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. If you look at, if you just think about the timing on that, at what point in time would the wealth of the wicked do the just any good? Certainly not after Jesus comes before us. We're not going to be here. Jesus is going to rapture us out of here. Well, maybe it's talking about the millennium. Who cares? Jesus is in charge then and he's ruling with a rod of iron. Just waiting for some ungodly people to step outside of line. He's not ruling that way now over you and me. He's ruling us with grace and with love and with kindness. During the millennium, not so. Which means there are going to be people that are rebellious to God here on the earth during the millennium. During the thousand year reign of Jesus. It's going to be like Jesus is standing up daring somebody to do the wrong thing. I'm going to really enjoy the millennium. Okay, silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, verse 9, and the glory of this latter house. Again, he's not talking about the second temple that was being rebuilt at the time. He's not talking about Herod's temple. So he's got to be talking about the house of God, meaning the church. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now turn back with me to Second Chronicles chapter 5. I told you that we'd make mention of at least um, Solomon's temple. When we first started this series, we, uh, we took a lot of Old Testament scriptures where it referred to the glory of God being manifest, and, and, um, uh, and, and we spent some time on it. Now, really, perhaps I should have spent more time going over some of these scriptures. But be that as it may, I want to make sure that you know of this one, this instance. It was not the first time that the glory of God was seen. It was not the first time that it appeared, and we'll make mention of that as we go as well. But this was a time that was, uh, was significant as far as the glory of God upon the temple was concerned. Second Chronicles chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse, uh, uh, well, let's see, I guess we better start in verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. In other words, it's saying that during uh, the dedication of Solomon's temple, it wasn't the way the priests normally operated, where they'd do it in shifts, and one priest would do one thing, and then after him, another priest would do something else. Everybody was ready, everybody was prepared, everybody was together. Also, verse 12, the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. They had the whole band out. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, here's what they sang. They praised the Lord, saying, 
saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Here's the result, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand a minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now, the Bible speaks over and over again of the glory of the Lord appearing like a cloud. This is the same thing that, uh, that occurred in Genesis chapter 15, when God cut the covenant, made a covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, God shows up and says, Fear not, Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. I like it. I like the word, the meaning of the words themselves rather than just the New Testament, uh, the uh, King James translation of it. Exceeding great reward means vehemently increasing payment. That was God's attitude toward, toward Abraham. He said, Abraham, because I have made an arrangement with you, because I've made a covenant with you, because you have obeyed me, I'm your vehemently increasing payment. I like the vehemently word because the devil tries to keep God's payment from being realized in your life. But it indicates that on God's side, he makes sure that everything that can be done and needs to be done is done on your behalf. So he said, uh, he speaks to, to Abraham and Abraham says, uh, he, he tells Abraham about the stars of the sky. Look at the sky and see other stars. Abraham said, well, how am I going to know that I'm going to have children like that? So God makes a covenant with him. Further on down in the 15th chapter, it says that during this time, there was a deep sleep that fell upon Abraham. And it says a smoking furnace. King James says, I think this is about verse 17 of Genesis 15. It says a smoking furnace and a burning lamp appeared. Now, what does that mean to you? You know what it means to me? Nothing. I don't know how you could hide the real meaning of something any more than saying a smoking furnace. Because the only furnace I knew is the kind that I grew up with and that had the heat registers on the floor in the house that I grew up in. Left my tractor on that thing one day and it melted the tires down in that. Plastic dripped down in there and started stinking up the house and I got a whipping like you would not believe. <laughs> I don't like smoking furnaces. Well, what does it mean? Well, the, the words themselves, smoking furnace, literally means vaporous glistening. It's talking about the cloud of glory. Burning lamp means flaming torch. So it's saying that the glory of the Lord appeared at that time when God made a covenant with Abraham and God himself as the flaming torch walked in between the pieces, which is the way that covenants were done in the ancient days. God literally carried out his end. He appeared and carried out his end of making a covenant, which was a pledge to Abraham of everything that God had and everything God could do. Abraham said, how will I know? God said, here's how you're going to know. I'm making a covenant with you. The Bible says the glory of the Lord appeared on the Old Testament tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness, when God was instruct, had instructed Moses to, to build a place, a dwelling place for his presence. He couldn't live within man because man was still bound by sin. But the Old Testament tabernacle, the tabernacle of the wilderness, talked about how the glory of the Lord would appear. Many times it would appear in the tabernacle when the people rebelled. It appeared to protect Moses time after time after time. It always appeared when they made sacrifices. Ezekiel talks about the cloud. He talks about the cloud even as a, a brightness, as a shining. He even talks about it like a rainbow in one case. Having to do with his call to the ministry. Having to do with something that God had ordained for him to do. We get to the New Testament. Turn with me over to John chapter 1. We get to the New Testament, and the glory of God still appears, but it shows in different ways. 
And remember God's original plan, that which was fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus, was to return the glory to mankind. Man was created in glory, but he fell from it when Adam sinned. Notice what John says. John chapter 1. Well, let's read a couple of verses of Scripture. Let's read verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Word he's talking about is Jesus. We'll show you that as we go. The same was in the beginning. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Now, he's talking about Jesus because that's the, that's the reference that he's making. The word was God. He's talking about Jesus. All things were made by him. And without him, apart from Jesus, in other words, was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, the darkness he's talking about is people. Specifically, the Jews. They didn't recognize who Jesus was. Skip down with me to verse 14. Oh, I'll tell you what, let me, let me stop on the way to verse 9. Speaking of Jesus again, it says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He's talking about the new birth. He's talking about his spiritual renewal or recreation when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's what happens when you get born again. God lights your candle. That's the way David described it in the Old Testament. Verse 14, And the word... The same word that was with God, the same word that was God, the same word that created all things and without, apart from him was nothing created. It says, and the word was made flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. Now, what good did that do or what result did that bring? Notice what goes on in verse 14. And we, John speaking of himself and the others that were with him, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what did they see? John's saying we beheld his glory. What did he see? Well, he writes a whole book about the miracles that Jesus did, just like the other gospel writers. He writes a book about Jesus raising the dead, about healing the sick, casting out devils and people being delivered. He tells us about the teaching that Jesus did to cause people to know what God was like. Jesus said himself, John's the one that tells us that Jesus said himself, the words that I'm speaking to you, they're not my words. They're words that are given to me of the Father. He goes on to say the works that I'm doing, they're not do- I'm not doing it in and of myself. Most people, most Christians think, and it's a religious idea, it's not a Bible idea, but most Christians have the idea that Jesus came to the earth and did miracles because he was the Son of God. Jesus said that's the very thing that he didn't do. If that was the case, then Jesus would have said, yeah, I'm the Son of God. That's why I'm doing this stuff. But he didn't. He said, the works that I do, I don't do of myself. In other words, it's not because I'm the Son of God. Well, if you're not doing them in and of yourself because you're the Son of God, Jesus, why are you doing them? Or what enables you to do them? He said, but the Father in me, he's doing the works. In other words, he's saying it's the Spirit of God within him that's doing the miracles and not him himself. Jesus is making the distinction between him as a flesh and blood human being born of the Spirit of God who is literally the, the first begotten of, of God, the only begotten Son. He's making a distinction between him as the only begotten Son of God and the Spirit of God that's equipping him for miracles. That's hard for a lot of the church to accept. But I'm just simple enough to believe what Jesus said to be true. How about you?
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family, as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. We know Jesus went to the cross. We know that he went to the cross to bring new life to mankind. And notice what Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit. What raised Jesus from the dead? Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse... uh, Let's start in verse 3. He said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? He's not talking about water baptism, folks. He's talking about being born again. Being baptized in water is different from being baptized into Christ. You're baptized into Christ when you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. You're brought into the family of God. Baptism in water is just an outward sign of what you've already done inside. See, being baptized in water doesn't get anybody saved. If water baptism saves you, then everybody that went swimming would come out a new new creature in Christ Jesus. It's just water. No, it's being baptized into Christ by a decision from your heart acted on through the confession of your mouth. That's what brings you into the family of God. That's the baptism he's talking about. And he says, whenever you make Jesus the Lord of your life, don't you know that you were baptized into his death? In other words, don't you know you died with him? So many people are struggling with the, the, the problems and the issues and, the, and the, the, the characteristics of their flesh. They're trying to overcome their flesh. Folks, it's, overcoming your flesh is real easy. Realize you're dead. The Bible says that you died with Christ. That means your body is dead, but your spirit's alive. I don't know if this helps anybody else, but one of the things that really helped me is to recognize that this body is just an old, like putting an old corpse. And you know, the Romans used to do this. They used to kill people by finding a diseased body, somebody that had leprosy. And they would strap that diseased body on the back of someone and make them walk around. And pretty soon, the disease on the person on their back would eat up the flesh of the individual. Yeah, it's a real nice picture, isn't it? Well, that's the picture of you carrying around your flesh. That's why the Bible says put off the old man. Drop that dead thing. And folks, I've got to tell you, there are places you can go, you can't go with God carrying a dead body. Just like if you were doing it naturally, there's some restaurants you couldn't get in. (laughs) Works that way with your relationship with God, too. You learn to put off that old man and put on the new man, and it's a totally different situation. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, how do I drop the old flesh when I have to deal with that until Jesus gets here? Realize it's dead. It's not the real you. 
You control whether you pick it up or whether you put it down. Okay, well, that's not my message this morning. So he says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, made Jesus the Lord of our lives, in other words, were baptized unto his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, how was he raised? By the glory of the Father. What raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says it was the glory of the Father. Like as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. What does he mean, Jesus was raised up again by the glory of the Father? He's saying the glory of God raised Jesus from the dead. Now this has got to be the same glory that John said that we beheld in Jesus. So what is this glory of God? Romans chapter 8 verse 11, it says, But if the same Spirit, or the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Now Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says it was the glory of the Father. Romans 8 verse 11 says it was the Spirit of God. So what is the glory of God? It's the Holy Spirit. The glory of God is the Holy Spirit. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 tells us the story of after Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter, the church has been going now for about 10 years since the time that Jesus was raised. But it really hasn't gotten outside of Jerusalem much. It went into Samaria in in Acts chapter 8, and there was a a smattering of evangelism there. The whole city turned out. And so uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it was a a small crusade. It It was a big thing. But what I'm saying is the church has not actively sought to spread the gospel like Jesus told them to do. So here in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. And he sees all these animals coming down in a sheet. Some of them clean, some of them unclean. And there's a voice from heaven says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter, who's so accustomed to the law of Moses, says, not so, Lord. He knows it's the Lord talking to him. But he says, not so, Lord. No unclean thing has ever passed over my lips. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to eat some unclean thing. I don't care if you are telling me to. And Jesus answers back and says, call not thou unclean. Don't call unclean that which I have cleansed. Well, The, the Bible says that happened three times. And after it's over, Peter's wondering what all this stuff means. Don't tell me you've got to be smart for God to use you. Peter's proof of that. Three times Jesus tells him to do something, and he says no three times. And then he's thinking, gee, I wonder what all that meant. Duh. It means obey God. At that point in time, while he's wondering what these things mean, the Spirit of the Lord speaks up and and says to him, three men are downstairs looking for you. Go with them and don't ask any questions. God deals with you however he has to. This is how he had to deal with Peter. So he finds out that these three men have come from Cornelius' house. Because Cornelius had a vision and saw an angel who said, go to this certain place and find a guy named Peter. So the next morning, it was too late in the day for him to start off. Then the next morning, they go back over to Cornelius' house. And boy, Cornelius has got his house full of people. He's called in everybody. He's told everybody, I saw a vision. I saw an angel. The angel said, send to a place for a man named Peter. I've never had that happen before. This Peter is going to come back and he's going to tell us how to get saved. What's getting saved, Cornelius? I don't know, but the angel said we need to do it. So he's got the house full of people. Peter comes in there and is so packed he can't hardly get in. So he goes in and he starts telling them about Jesus. Now he finally figures out 
Oh, this wasn't about eating meats. This wasn't about eating animals. He's talking about I've cleansed the Gentiles. Okay. So he, Peter didn't go alone. He brought other people, Jewish uh, leaders from the, uh, from the church in Jerusalem, people that were still holding on to circumcision, still holding on to the law of Moses. He comes down there and preaches a wonderful, wonderful sermon. Acts chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 38 is one of the great scriptures that we use in many different applications. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He told him about Jesus. Now look at verse 44. It said, while Peter yet spake these words. Peter's in the middle of his preaching. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. Please get that phrase. It fell on all them that heard the word. He fell on all them that heard the word. This reminds me of what the Bible says in Luke chapter 5 about those that came to Jesus to hear and to be healed. The implication is you can't get people healed unless they'll hear. In this case, in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it tells us that the people that heard received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost fell on them. Now, isn't that an interesting way for God to put it? Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, to tell us that the Holy Ghost fell. Thank God the Holy Ghost falls. It does not say the Holy Ghost rose up within them. It doesn't say the Holy Ghost moved Peter. It says the Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Ghost couldn't rise up in them because they're not saved yet. They're just hearing about getting saved. Thank God the Holy Ghost falls still in the New Testament. And then it says those that were of the circumcision that came with Peter and everybody in the group was astonished because of the gift of the Holy Ghost that was poured out upon them. Well, how'd they know the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them? For we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So here the Holy Ghost falls, gets them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost all in one shot. And the Jews didn't even believe the Gentiles could have either one. I'm convinced that in the last days where God said, I'll fill this house with glory and the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. I'm convinced that God's going to do a lot of things in a lot of places that people don't even think that he can do. I'm convinced that he's going to do a lot of things for a lot of people that that others in the church don't even think God wants to reach. Watch him reach the Muslims. Watch him get terrorists saved. You know, the people you want to go to hell. Watch and see what God does. Thank God the Holy Ghost falls. He still falls today. When we hear the word. The spirit of glory is spoken about many times in the scripture. And it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us so that we can be just like Jesus was in this world. Similar to him in character, in power, and in the love of God. Come join us at Foothill Family Church as we learn together how to manifest the glory of God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come be a part of our family as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. 
Our vision is people growing in God and serving in His kingdom with a mission of showing God's love and a message of victory in Jesus Christ. Come join us this Easter as we serve God together. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.